This podcast is recorded on the traditional and unceded territories of the Musqueam, Squamish, Tsleil-Waututh, and Coquitlam peoples. British Columbia, I've seen your mountains high, seen your pretty rainbows and your blue crystal skies, watched your winding rivers as they flow around the bend. To me you're not a stranger, you'll always be a friend. Coming to you from the West Coast, this is Politicos. Today is July 7th, 2022, and this is episode 297. I'm I'm Ian Bushfield. On today's show, a lot of people just aren't running for leadership races. That's what we're going to talk to, some by choice, some by not. <laughs> Thank you, patrons, for keeping our show going. Join them at patreon.com slash politicoast. And thank you, I don't know if we've had it inserted, but thank you to BC Today for your long-standing support and alliance with our podcast. We've had Shannon Waters on the show many times. We need to get her back for at least one more episode because she just announced today she's leaving BC today. She's got other things in the works, it sounds like, from her thread. Additional political reporting to come. Follow her at So Bitter So Sweet to find out what's next. But thank you, Shannon, for doing such great reporting over at BC Today. Let's get into our first segment. Why does EB, the largest MLA, not simply eat the other MLAs? This is me stealing the <laughs> meme that people have already shared many times, but this BC NDP You can race, never have too many future rounds. Exactly. Memes. It's quickly becoming a coronation, it seems, as the big news this week is Ravi Cologne, who was presumptively going to be running and having the kind of machinery, the party apparatus behind him, if not the membership, decided he's not running. He tweeted out, I want to thank everyone who reached out to provide words of encouragement as I considered seeking the leadership. After careful consideration with my family, we've come to the decision that now is not the time for us. Following this decision, I called my friend David Eby and encouraged him to seek the leadership. David is someone who I admire, someone with integrity, passion, and is the right person to be our next premier and carry on the important work we are doing to build a hashtag stronger BC. So this caught everyone by surprise. There had been rumors circulating for, what, at least a year and a half? A year and a half? I don't know. I'm not a New Democrat. I don't live in Victoria. And even I was hearing the rumors that there were potential leadership campaigns preparing to go when Gordon finally decided it was time to leave. And Robert Lone's name was one of the ones that long David Eby kept coming up anytime. There was talk of who would be succeeding Horgan's. And yeah, like you said, it was a case where he was widely expected to be, if not the front runner, definitely top two. And while Evie may have the bigger public profile, there was a lot of the machinery of politics that would have strongly favored a Ravi Cologne run. Solid connections with the labor movement, able to organize that constituency as well as the, uh, the Indo-Canadian community and connections throughout Surrey, which is the heart of BC politics these days. And just between all that, you, it was widely expected that he would have a very strong show in every run, particularly because the NDP's one-member, one-vote system doesn't require the sort of complexities of a campaign that the the riding-weighted system that the Liberals and here in BC and the Fed federal conservatives use, which means just being able to push memberships out is a real strong starting point yeah. for any campaign. EB's definitely 
better known outside the party and in the broader membership. He was considering a run at the time when Horgan became premier, but he had just had young children. And I can attest to the fact that is not a great time to take on more responsibilities, even though he did end up becoming attorney general at that time. In Matter of Confidence, it's disclosed that Horgan had basically approached EB and said, if you want the job, you can have it in a sort of Lord of the Rings. If you want me to give you the ring of power, I'll give it. It can be your burden to bear, Samwise Gamgee. It's a weird analogy I've just made. Or he, yeah, Frodo offered the ring to a lot of different like at that people point, in the, that uh, book. Frodo sorry, offered that? the ring to a lot of different people at a lot of different times in that book. I'm just remembering. Yeah, surprisingly few took him yeah. up on it. And like that, no one seems to want to take on the leadership of the NDP this time, just like last time. Yeah, so in the hours that followed the big announcement, several other MLAs tweeted out their support for David Eby. Bob Dyth put his name behind David Eby, MLA for Maple Ridge. Adrian Dix announced or responded to questions that he won't actually be seeking another run at leadership which led a lot of people to breathe a sigh of relief i think even people who i think like him as health minister don't want to see him be leader again you had your shot didn't go great stay where your strengths are blew a big lead and nobody wants to see that no. happen again yeah in addition katrina chen like from burnaby also came out with an endorsement of David Eby. And then I think the most interesting Twitter thread following that was Bowen Ma, who put out a cryptic thread about how she's going to be a pain in the ass to whoever wins. That's just the kind of person she is, and she just wants to see someone fight for climate. She will push them on that no matter what. And then that all was written in a, I'm not running, I just want to see a climate champion run. But then it ends with a you should sign up for a membership and send me a confirmation so I have you on a list in case I need that. Not just that, the I will have more to say in the future, and by the way, please sign up to be a member and let me add you to my mailing list, which is something that is very much not out of place for someone who is planning on running but doesn't want to announce it yet. And we we have no confirmation of it, but that's... That looks like it's a nod in that direction anymore, no matter how non-committal the rest of the threat Yeah, it's a time when David Eby hasn't even said he'll run. And the biggest kick in the pants to BC politics and just the funniest thing that could happen would be for him to take a pass at this as well. And so that's the future I'm hoping for. Just maximum chaos. Yeah, but... I feel like this is going to be one of those cases for where it's what it was his first law. The Canadian politics tends towards the most boring outcome. I think that sounds right. This is pretty clearly being set up. You wouldn't have multiple MLAs pre-endorsing someone who then says, actually, no. If he's had those conversations, this is a phased rollout takeover. And... Yeah, especially because David Eby was standing behind Ravi Shalon when he made the uh, the announcement. There's very clearly coordination going on there. But I guess what we're waiting for in the next week or two are the official rules, which are probably going to be a very tight race. There is a 90-day 
cutoff for memberships. We know that between when you have the last person sign up and when they the voting happens. So three months out, they're talking about the fall. So we might be talking about a leadership race that has less than a month to get people signed up, maybe just over. So that's not a time to build a mass movement. So if you're someone who's interested in voting in the BC NDP leadership race, even if you don't know who's running yet, you might want to just consider dropping your $10 and getting your membership card. Yeah. And it is farewell, not farewell, but his I'm resigning speech. Horton did say he was asking the party executive to schedule one for the fall. So there's very little chance that's going to be anything but a fall leadership race. And that does mean that 90 day top is going to be very like it could be November, December, like they could drag it out that much. But December, I would agree. But if I don't think anyone would be mad if it was like December 2nd. I don't know. At that point, you're into the Christmas season, and nobody wants to be doing politics and Christmas at the same time. Not unless you're Stephen Harper in 2008, fending off a prorogation crisis. Did yeah, he was a walk in yeah, the snow fun. kind of situation. Remember the, uh, the one that got him elected, the 2006 one happened over So the, Harper really the liked doing but, politics uh, over Christmas. <laughs> But I don't get the sense the... Technically, that was Jack Layton's fault. That's the most liberal line ever. (laughs) But yes, we'll have to see what the rules look like. I think that's what's really holding back anyone from fully jumping in. Like, I think Nathan Cullen is still considering it, but it's hard to tell where the big support for his campaign will come from. Like, if David Evie's running, he's got the kind of urban semi-environmental movements on his side, the social issues, but where are the like working, you know, the blue collar or mining type NDPers, who are they looking for as their champion might be the next question. Like Horgan managed to straddle it, leaning possibly a little bit more towards the traditional working interior jobs kind of NDP. But I don't think Lee, like, that, that was clearly kind of like his side of the tent, so to speak. And it worked well for him. Um, EB, though, is very, the, kind of the quintessential downtown lawyer type. And that's that, that does plant the flag firmly on the other side of things. So it'll be interesting to see. Right now, we have Bowen Moss, the only one that seems to have put anything out there, even semi publicly, that suggests a possible run and that would also be competing for very much of the same territory so it's not clear who would be the traditional working class part of the party yeah i know josie osborne's name is still out there the former mayor of tofino i don't know enough about her personal politics to say where what her constituency would be yeah the only thing i really know about her is that she was barely yimby as mayor of tofino but that doesn't really tell you a huge amount about any of the other big stuff So we'll keep watching, we'll keep following the rumors and Twitter noise until we have an actual race to follow, and then we can start talking to candidates. Or if you want to come on our podcast and launch your campaign, email us, podcast at politicos.ca. Let's jump over to the federal race then. The conservative leadership race had a dramatic shakeup this week as Patrick Brown was busted. (sighs) Yeah, so earlier this week, a statement was sent out by a chair of the Leadership Election Organizing Committee, Ian Brody, 
saying that Patrick Brown is being disqualified from running in the race due to violations of the party's rules and or the Canada Elections Act and that the organizing committee has voted on the recommendation of the chief returning officer of the party to disqualify Brown. Yeah, the statement itself referenced serious allegations of wrongdoing. It didn't name any specifically. We have a little bit more detail that we'll get into in a minute. And it said that the Brown campaign was given an opportunity to provide information and what they have provided did not satisfy concerns about compliance. I think when it was announced or leaked that the vote was 11 to 6, there was this idea that everyone agreed Brown was doing something sketchy, but they weren't, they were divided over whether that sketchiness rose to the level of denying him the ability to complete this race, which is a pretty like nuclear option to take. Not unprecedented for the conservatives, but they don't usually throw out their front runners or top two or three people. Yeah, it's one thing when it's a nobody candidate who's never held elected office before and is deciding to throw their hat there in and has a history of questionable statements to deny them like a green light early on in the process. But at this point, the person who sold the second most memberships and is in theory the presumptive number two in terms of standings that's a that is no small thing to disqualify someone and it will inevitably lead to some bad blood even where the brown campaign released a response pretty quickly on the same evening they said they got to learn of this decision from the media which is just the greatest thing to see happen it's just that like wow you put it out publicly before you even took the courtesy of telling them they said Patrick Brown or any of his representatives were present at the final meeting, so they were not given an opportunity to defend themselves before the LEOC. They say the allegations were anonymous and they were never provided with details or evidence of specific allegations. Quote, why is the party doing this? It is expecting a coronation for Pierre Polyev. So they basically say it's he threatened Pierre's easy walk and the it was clear from the membership sales that Pierre didn't have it in the bag, so they needed to cheat to have him win. I'm paraphrasing, but like only a little. Following that, a group of counselors from Brampton published a statement making some allegations about what Brown was doing as mayor at the time. Brown jumped back saying that was investigated and we were cleared of everything. The allegations were basically that he hired staff and gave contracts to companies that were underqualified, but he was in close contact with or he had close ties to a nepotism or just like sleazy helping your friends kind of situation. You'd, you'd think he'd be running for Liberal Party leader. We now know as well that Patrick Brown has hired famed defense counsel Mary Heinen of the Jean Gameshi fame to defend him. Also, Mark Norman. Uh, and we know who the whistleblower is. So we know where these allegations are coming from. They came from inside the house. Debbie Jodoin, a former regional organizer for Brown, was the one who 
talked to the party, she released a statement via her lawyer saying, quote, Mr. Brown told me it was permissible for me to be employed by a company as a consultant and that for that company to have me volunteer with the campaign. In other words, rather than the campaign pay her and then have to report that, a friendly company to the Brown campaign would hire her and then she could just volunteer on the campaign, but she would still get paid. She continued, he connected me by text message with third party for that purpose. I trusted him, but as time went on, I became increasingly concerned with the arrangement and suspected it was not okay. So, allegations of sleaziness. I don't know if we'll ever get to the truth of this. It's go- it sounds like it's going to be litigated, but... And, yeah, and the uh, Conservative Party said they've referred this to Elections Canada, so there will presumably be an investigation and report coming out of them. But not likely that that's going to conclude before the leadership vote. And yeah, the whole thing's a mess. And like we've seen lawsuits over leadership races. I think the Manitoba Progressive Conservatives ended in a lawsuit where the court went, we're going to stay out of it in the end. If you don't like that party, go run with someone else. They didn't say it directly, but that was my interpretation of how the courts view these things. Because, yes, the, they don't want to get in the middle of a of an yeah, exactly. Party and like political parties are separate; they're part of the legislative approach, and the judiciary doesn't always get involved in that. Maybe I'm wrong in this case. It's also just like striking to me that Patrick Brown, the man who enters the race under a cloud of allegations of sexual harassment that he was never cleared of, but he got CTV to apologize for a technical detail about whether someone was like 17 or 18 at the time. Those allegations are still out there about the things he did to young women when he was early on in his campaign. And we just were all looking past it, or at least the Conservative Party was happy enough to look past it and let him run. So, I guess... Although there was now a story that was certainly in the last hour or so, which I've not had a chance to read, just the headline, that there was apparently a split upon the Green Light Committee. So, on undoubtedly, one. bad blood sitting against Patrick Brown for quite a while. And here we go. Now they've found their... found enough smoke, found enough fire to cut him loose and now he can go to court yeah of course with that subsequent detail the that's only going to add fuel to the this was orchestrated argument and i let, let's be clear with this be like pierre probably has almost certainly going to win on the first ballot if patrick brown's disqualified the he had the second largest number of memberships but still pretty far behind where pierre polyev was a lot of those were from people who are not longtime Conservative Party members or particularly attached to the party as opposed to the candidates. So there's likely going to be a very large drop-off in terms of who comes out to vote on that without a organized GOTV get-out-of-the-vote effort by the Brown campaign. That is no more. Yeah, it likely means a pretty decisive victory for Pierre Polyev, but there will still be this small asterisk that will hand over. Not likely to affect much 
going forward. Like, the chance that Brown does a and go starts his own party is no, he's going to go uh, back and be mayor with all these people who tried to stab him in but, the back uh, at the last minute here again. <laughs> I could actually see that. Keep in mind, he didn't exactly have a huge connection to Brampton before he became mayor. It's like in the span of two years, I think he moved there and basically spun up a machine that was capable of winning him the mayorship there. I could well see him doing that again. And the other thing I see in this is we talked recently about him losing his chief strategist or one of his campaign managers and losing Michelle Rempel Garner, his campaign co-chair, to them both considering Garner running for Alberta Progress Alberta UCP leader, and then her not ultimately deciding to run for that. But it was like, why don't they go back to Brown? And if they were smelling something fishy in the way he was operating, that might explain why they're not back with his campaign. Like, I'm speculating a lot here, obviously. Yeah, but you're not the first one to make that speculation. But yeah, it's definitely a, a theory that is out there and not implausible. And so, what we're left with, and you already said it, is that it seems like a cakewalk for Pierre Polyev. There's the outside chance Jean Charest can hoover up every disaffective conservative. Maybe he can even convince some who signed up for Polyev that... Everything about this is unfair, undemocratic, and maybe they should come around to the guy who was almost run out of Quebec for a series of corruption scandals instead. What a mess of our leadership race. Scott Aitchinson, it's your chance. <laughs> Be the good guy. Yeah, the Conservative Party did send out an email earlier today saying all of their or that they've started mailing out the ballots and they welcome new members email at the same time, which almost certainly means that in the last couple of days, they have not had time to reprint 675,000 ballots. Quite likely the ballots when they arrive will have Patrick Brown's name on them, which is just a whole other level of fun. Not the first time this happened. Uh, Kevin O'Leary had withdrawn after the ballots went out two, three leadership races ago it's a ranked ballot situation so even if you do put brown first presumably that just spoils your first round pick and you get counted on second choice on the second round if there is one but yeah not ideal to have that much paper and mail going out with a pretty strong error in it but what a mess. And we'll have to see if this hangs over the Conservative Party leadership for a while. It's, it seems like you can probably walk away from this because it'll be a while before the next election, but it does leave it with a bit of a cloud. Yeah, also, Pierre's going to win. He's popular within the, the party apparatus. going to be able to consolidate pretty quickly afterwards. <sighs> The opposition, like the, not the 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 liberals, aren't going to be able to make hay of someone who didn't, who got disqualified two years ago, and didn't win at all. People, this will be a footnote by the time the next election comes around. So it's a mess now, but it's of all the things that will drag down. It, 
a future conservative party campaign, this is not going to be it. Oh my god, Patrick Brown run to replace Justin Trudeau in the next liberal leadership race just for shits. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, the big issue Polyev is going to have to deal with is the fact that the coalition he has is actively pushing out the red Tory moderates in favor of what if we're just more populist and more true blue than the last two guys were? Yeah, although even that, like, you're starting to see some signs that he's moving back in the other direction. Is this him touching um, wood? A few days ago, he did the, yeah, the barn video or the one where he talks at surprising length about some salvaged wooden beams and whatnot. I, that's straight down the middle kind of conservative philosophy that would not be out of place in a, some conserv- book on conservative philosophy or whatever by Yuval Levine or someone like that. Like, that's the sort of thing that he pivots to more of that sort of stuff It's and does less about convoys and bitcoins. He can probably rope that the conservatives back in that have he was also literally marching with the convoy people on Canada Day and the day before. So I wouldn't talk to up his moderation too much. <laughs> yeah, that's okay. what I mean by he has to, if he peels away from that. But we'll see how uh, effective that is because he hasn't exactly been great on the avoiding that stuff. But like it, it seems entirely plausible that he would be able to consolidate the conservative bloc and largely reconstitute it after winning. Moving on to quick takes, let's talk one more leadership story, and that's the chaos that has been the last 48 hours of the UK Conservative Party. There's undoubtedly a hundred better podcasts to listen to about UK politics than us, but just I just have to mention it because it follows so well after the chaos of the UCP in Alberta particularly is just Boris Johnson's downfall as everyone quit in the last... I didn't know they had 50 ministers and high-ranking officials who could resign, but they did, and they all did, and I don't even know who was left. Jesus, I thought they... And all cabinet ministers? What's up, but cabinet they all had some kind of role in the party, which is still a lot. So the latest scandal in the UK, like Boris Johnson's been under fire almost since he won leadership a few years ago. But the latest scandal follows him appointing a man named Chris Pincher to cabinet. This was already quite the scandal because it came out that Pincher was accused of groping men in a private club a number of years ago. That was bad, but then it turned out there were previous sexual misconduct complaints to which Boris Johnson had been told about, but he just said, I forgot when I appointed him. And that seemed to be one of many lies that he has told in Parliament and in the public. And this was like the lie that broke the camel's back as minister after minister, just like in a flood just quit. The best part of the night, I think, was when he turned and fired Michael Gove, one of the highest ranking and longest serving, most loyal conservative cabinet ministers. 
And it's just, are you firing him because he's not quitting? Like, are you doing it for him? But it seemed initially like he was just going to try and muddle through and be like, I survived a confidence vote a couple months ago, so you can't do another full one against me for a year because of the rules they have. Do your worst. I'm still prime minister. You'll have to get the queen to fire me or something like that. And there was talk of the queen intervening because it's chaos over there. But he find and I guess they were like camping outside number 10 Downing Street. So finally, he announces his resignation, but with the cherry on top of he'll be staying until the fall and when the conservatives pick a new leader. And of course, but he's still popular. It's the Jason Kenney. This is like line for line exactly what's happening in the UCP where he didn't technically have to quit, but no, that's true. They didn't have the swath of resignations because, yeah, it's pretty rare for people to resign these days from cabinet, at least in Canada, which is probably not great. But yeah, now there'll be a leadership race for the Conservative Party of the UK. Their system's a bit different. They largely, I believe, do like an initial selection by caucus, and then I think they can go to the membership. And it varies by party, but it's... Yeah, I believe that that's how they do it. There's the caucus basically selects the final two, and then it goes to the membership for who among them gets the vote. And honestly, there's something to be said about that compared to the they just go out and sign up as many people who aren't connected with the party and don't have any strong attachment as possible to choose a leader. And they got Boris Johnson last time, so it's not like their system's perfect. It's unclear if he will be prime minister longer than Theresa May was prime minister at this point. I think it. I think he's just going to beat her in terms of length, but he finished his speech with, or at least one part of his resignation speech involved the phrase, them's the breaks, which I just love. I love that for him. Anyway, <laughs> turns out Brexit was a bad idea for the Conservative Party of the UK. It has destroyed their party three times now. <laughs> They've won every election since then, so it, like it's this weird like, chaos. But <laughs> yeah, it destroyed the, the Labour Party too. Is too trapped to actually capitalize on the entire situation. <laughs> and the final leadership race to talk about is the Green Party of Canada. Yeah, we talked a little bit about their stupid rule that you have to be bilingual. Oh yeah, they're doing to run that everyone thinks is dumb, except apparently someone in the party. I think their interim leader may have even criticized it. But one person who is very bilingual is Quebec Green Party leader Alex Terrell, who is now saying that he is actively considering running, as has been reported by the Toronto Star and CBC. And he talks about, we need a true left eco-socialist. Yada in his thread, I just flagged that because it's the most prominent person to throw their name in there. Terrell is quite controversial. I think he he had a thread at the start of the invasion of Ukraine that didn't read very great. And he's had a couple of those other kinds of interventions. I think he blamed, he didn't blame any of it on Russia. I can see the kind of eco-socialist argument where that you want to take a complex view, but he at no point said, and Russia's clearly the bad guy. Uh, that's kind of what was it? Oh, Dmitry Lascaris. Who's the Maybe guy I'm confusing them actually. Last time. But... Lascaris, yeah. 
He also had a, that was pretty much his take on, at the start of the Ukraine war. So it's, I don't know, there's something about that to the political compass that just has really terrible foreign policy takes on stuff like that. But yeah, it wouldn't be the first time a Greens had a bad foreign policy take and it's not like they could do worse. I think than, there's uh, something interesting in having a different Greens. voice on foreign policy. So I'm interested to see where that goes. I do know there has been internal pushback against Terrell. A couple years ago, there was a lot of complaints, including challenges to his leadership in the Green Party of Quebec due to irregularities and a, quote, authoritarian management style. To be fair, it's the Green Party. Like, that could mean anything from screaming and yelling at staff and demanding everything be done their way to saying we should have a coherent message about a direction the party should take. Yes, that, yeah, for the Green Party, that could cross the line a little bit. Well, we'll see if anyone else decides to run, or if Alex Terrell even fully commits to running. Right now, we have a lot of leadership races where people aren't running. Things that also aren't happening are people getting AstraZeneca shots, as we are now having half of our supply expire and have to be thrown out. Not super great. I on one hand, like the AstraZeneca was never the most effective vaccine we had, and once the supply bottlenecks around the MMR, not the MMR, once the supply bottlenecks around the A, the Moderna and the Pfizer's got squared away, like, there probably wasn't much point in getting an AstraZeneca if you could get one of the other ones. But still, we could have donated them or sent them elsewhere if we didn't need them. The government says no one wanted them, that they did actually try to give them away. And just no one wants AstraZeneca at this point. And maybe that's the case, but it looks worse when CBC also points out that we had promised to donate 10 million doses of Moderna, but we've only done 6.1, and we have already thrown out 1.2 million doses of Moderna that expired. I'd take a booster shot at this point. There's some new variants that are looking like they're evading uh, immunity from the vaccines even more than the initial Omicron variant did, and they're giving some out. My dad just got his fourth shot a day or two ago, but like outside of a very small subset, they're not just widely available. And I don't know if we're having the, a new variant pop up. If we can't get a vaccine that's actually targeted to the variants, which it isn't the whole point of the uh, this mRNA tech that you can rapidly update vaccines. But anyway, if we can't get that quickly, can we at least get uh, the booster shots from the doses that we apparently have on our just landed spire? A lot of that's on the provinces who have their own vaccine rollout strategies. And tomorrow, probably by the time this is out, the province will have made its announcement, which comes as case numbers, hospitalizations, and wastewater numbers of COVID start all rising simultaneously once again, we'll have some kind of update on our vaccine strategy for the fall and late summer. So maybe you will get that fourth dose, Scott. And maybe if you go back to the military, you can put your shoulder backpack over just one shoulder going forward. Among other things, or do the radical act of wearing toots without gloves... Yeah, so the uh, the military updated their dress regulations just announced this week, relaxing a lot of the various requirements around 
hair length, what can be worn with uniforms, hair colors, tattoos, just a broad range of make the making the military less sexist wider. and racist. Like it's no, it's like modernizing stuff, like it, right? Tattoos and what not. Yeah, and some of the stuff like bef- before there there could be ways to get exemptions for some of the stuff but that was time consuming and now it's just allowed outright. They're opening up the UCAT, the distinctive environmental uniform, basically the the dress uniform that's in like black, blue, or green, depending if you're Navy, Air Force, or Army in that order. The ones you see when they're on parade and whatnot. They're opening that up, like the full catalog of male and female uniforms to everyone, which a lot of women in the force are going to be very happy with because the pants on the, were apparently not very comfortable. And I know more than a few that had friends order them the male pattern pants just to, to get a more comfortable uniform. Yeah. As far as I can tell, this is part of just a broader range of improving the culture in the military and this all just seems incredibly sensible and so many of the rules to anyone who's not in the military just always seemed weirdly outdated and overly strict for the sake of being strict and I get there yeah, is like some I, value I, to conformity within that kind of a set, situation or setting, but it also does cost you recruits. And yeah, a lot of these rules are just, they were rules for the sake of being rules. I made a joke at the start of this about the gloves and toots, but there was an actual rule that before this got changed that you could wear gloves in a beret or gloves in a toot, but you couldn't wear a toot without wearing gloves, and that's just uh, being changed. There's no real reason for that, and like every year someone at the start of winter would get jacked up for not wearing gloves when they had a, a toot on. And it's just like little things like that that didn't really need to be in the rules, and they've taken away. Good. Yeah. And finally, a story coming to us from CTV News. I think this and most people have probably seen stories or headlines or know someone who's dealt with trying to get their passport renewed right now as Service Canada is entirely swamped and really struggling to keep up with demand. But don't worry, they have a solution. They're going to buy chairs. So you're, quote, more comfortable waiting. Thus solving the problem once and for all. This will alleviate the crisis, literally what they said. They're going to buy 801 chairs. Ugh, this feels like the most like Canadian way of doing of handling a problem. Like we're not going to actually fix the underlying problem. We're just going to make it slightly less unpleasant when you have to deal with the problem. I was in Victoria a couple of weeks ago and I walked around the top of the Bay Center and there's a passport office up there and going through the food court down the hallway and almost all the way wrapping around the top of the entire building, the top floor. Were, was a lineup of chairs. And I, w- I was there looking around on a Saturday, so the passport office wasn't open. So it was just long lines of empty chairs. But it took me a while to realize. They don't have the Which, staff. Why wasn't it open on <laughs> a Saturday? Hire some more people. Like Rather than spend money on some chairs, spend money on more staff and paying the staff you do have overtime so they can work on a Saturday and help clear the backlog. Come on, this should not be that hard. My favorite part about this is CTV is, and no suppliers were listed as interested, and I pulled up the tender on buyandsell.gc.ca, and you can go in and see the list of interested suppliers, and the 
bid is actually closed. It's expired earlier today at 2 p.m. Eastern, and there's still no interested suppliers listed. You could still be the first to join this. And they needed these chairs tomorrow, and that was slightly pushed back. They're all for the Montreal office in specific, specifically, but they're not even going to get their chairs, it sounds like. There were questions about whether lumbar support was necessary, and they're like, we don't care, just get us some damn chairs. Procurement continues to be an issue, as we can't even buy office chairs. At least it's not as bad as the, if it were by new military equipment, I, we'd take a chair design and then spend six years and a hundred million dollars Canadianizing the chair. You saw in here that they wanted Canadian-made chairs, didn't you? Yeah, I did. So presumably from a Canadian manufacturer, but... Anyway, if... Man, procurement should not be this hard, for, particularly for something like a chair. If you have 800 chairs and you can get them to Quebec tomorrow, you could probably get around $65,000 from the federal government. So take that challenge. And that has been Playcoast. Find links to everything we talked about at playcoast.ca. Support the show and get access to our Slack channel at patreon.com slash playcoast. Our intro music credit is Beautiful British Columbia by Serge Plotnikoff. Playcoast is a production of Legend Boot Media, and editing services are provided by CHLY 101.7 FM in Nanaimo. Thanks for listening.